Fun with Emily. I'm Emily. I'm your host. Thanks for being here. I write a weekly newsletter called Just Keep Swimming and Other Things I've Learned from Pop Culture over on Substack. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to join me there. And by day, I'm a librarian. Yes, I'm one of those special unicorns. (laughs) I love my day job. I also love to write and to watch movies and to talk about random inconsequential things, especially with other people who just love what they love with abandon. I don't believe you have to be an expert to be an enthusiast. And to be honest, when it comes to pop culture, I kind of feel sorry for experts sometimes. Like maybe they have to sacrifice the ability to just simply be entertained. All of that gets lost in critiques and reviews and the artsiness of it all. It's kind of sad. So this is a safe space for anyone that just loves what they love and for people that have a lot of opinions like me about things of absolutely no consequence. In this very first season, we're going to be exploring the wonderful world of animated Disney movies. Why? (laughs) It's a great question. Because during summer, I like to issue myself random movie watching challenges. Apparently, I need a focus without network television and so that I don't watch Peaky Blinders or The Good Place for the 20th time. Last summer, I thought it would be a great idea to work my way through Goldie Hawn's filmography, and I cannot remember for the life of me why I thought that would be a fun thing to do. That was a very poor life choice. Outside of a deep and abiding love of Overboard and Bird on a Wire, yes, I acknowledge that they are both problematic. Most of her movies kind of made my skin crawl. Her charming laugh was just not enough to get me through. It was horrible. So this summer, I put together a list of 48 animated Disney movies to revisit. 48, for no particular reason besides the fact that was all that would fit on my pretty chart. Raise your hand if you like pretty charts and lists and to mark things off of lists. Because what is a challenge without a chart that you can mark things off of? Many of the movies I love, some of them I do not, a few I have never seen, which I don't know how that's possible, and a couple I swore I would never watch again. There has to be a little bit of a challenge to it, right? And I thought it would be fun to take you along for the ride. It will mostly just be me, but I might have some friends on to join as well. In fact, you can play along if you want to. There's a PDF in the show notes, should you need a little fun challenge to keep you occupied this summer. So in my last newsletter, I talked about a few of the movie challenge ideas that I bounced around. In the end, Disney seemed to save space after a year and a half of crazy. I think maybe I've always been a Disney fan. We weren't necessarily a Disney family, but I don't remember a time when the movies weren't really a part of my life. I guess I am kind of of that age. She says using air quotes because I don't feel old, but I think I am, maybe. We had all the VHS tapes, and they were so pretty, all lined up nicely in in our media cabinet, you know, with the squishy covers, and they were so colorful and pretty and all the same size. Okay, sorry. That's the librarian coming out in me. And I even remember going to the theater to see a few. And not to wax all nostalgic, but those moments were kind of precious. Special outings on a weekday morning in the summers with my mom at a theater that no longer exists. Going to the movies was kind of a special treat back then. Oh, and when the Disney Channel would have special free weekends. I have very vivid, odd memories of watching Dumbo Circus, Welcome to Pooh Corner, and Kids Incorporated. What a very strange lineup of shows. I hunted down an episode of Dumbo Circus on YouTube a while ago, and to be honest, it was terrifying. I think I'll link it in the show notes for you too, so you can experience the horror. You know, I'm a giver. I I want to share that with you. My first trip to Disneyland was in second grade, and I have zero memories of that day. Uh, That's not entirely true. I remember the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. 
I'm not even sure I climbed it, but I do remember it. I wouldn't visit again for another 20 years when I was back in Anaheim for a library conference, which, yes, is as exciting as it sounds. And I went with my boss who grew up in California and thus grew up going to Disney. I had to be a sight. I mean, a grown woman just soaking in all of that magic at one time. Oh, poor lady. God, God bless her. That sparked a bit of a frenzy that led to my first Disney World adventure with my brother and sister-in-law the next year. 32. I was 32 when I first saw Cinderella's Castle, and I've been six times since, almost every year until COVID, once solo, which was a lot more fun than I had thought it would be. Are Disney movies perfect? No, no, they are not. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But the nostalgia is, you know, when you break it all down, it's just, it's storytelling, usually really simple storytelling. But you add a dash of color, a sprinkling of songs that get stuck in your head, and all of a sudden you have this really very special magic. I know it's probably more about childhood reminiscing, but who doesn't need a little magic in their lives every once in a while? So I decided to kick off this summer movie challenge at the beginning because the beginning is the best place to start sometimes. And sometimes you just want to get it out of the way early so you don't have to deal with it later on, which means Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was up first. Full disclosure, it's not my favorite. In fact, I kind of actively dislike it, and it falls into the camp of I swore I would never watch it again. But I did, because I put it on the list. So here we go. Let's start out with an overly simplified summary. An evil queen with vanity issues puts a hit out on her stepdaughter, only to be disappointed when the assassin fails to follow through. Snow, the fair stepdaughter, shacks up with seven guys out in the woods, promising to be their maid in return for a safe place to lay her head each night. Absolutely no one thinks this is creepy or inappropriate. The queen finds out the princess is still alive, does some abracadabra potion making, and transforms herself into an old crone with a poisoned apple. Snow, being quite gullible, takes a bite out of said apple, falls into a coma, and remains blissfully asleep until love's first kiss from a perfect stranger. And that's about it in a nutshell. The plot hadn't changed or gotten better from my last viewing many moons ago, and after much thought and note-taking, yes, I took notes, I've concluded that my problem with Snow White is the long list of unanswerable questions. I mean, there's a lot. The whole story is just one big plot hole after another. Should we do a rundown of my questions? Let's do that. Number one, why did the magic mirror on the wall all of a sudden determine that Snow was the fairest of them all? What changed? Did she suddenly come of age and now it was appropriate to acknowledge her hotness? Ah, uh, we've all been there. When we watch a high school movie, you're like, oh, that dude's cute. Wait, he's playing a 17-year-old. He can't be cute, but he's 25, so it's fine. It's, it's an uncomfortable situation you find yourself in. Was it a particularly good hair day for Snow? Did the queen do something to piss off the mirror? Was this a declaration an act of vengeance? I mean, it's not like Snow was an outsider that just happened to stop by the kingdom for a good time. She was there in her fairness the whole time. She was the princess. So what changed? What's, what's going on there? Number two, what was the prince doing just wandering the countryside? It wasn't like Snow's wishing well song poofed him into existence. He was just there lurking. Definitely stalker vibes. And then immediately he starts to sing a love song. That's major red flag mojo there. And if we go with the theory that Snow just came of age, what age is that exactly? Is this prince wooing a minor? Are we okay with that? Number three, what's wrong with Snow's face? 
Why does her nose disappear from time to time? Number four, the evil queen is obviously a baddie. So why didn't she just deal with Snow on her own from the beginning? Why trust a man to do such an important job? It's obviously important to her. She made a special little box to hold her stepdaughter's heart. So why chance it? Why give the job to just some random dude? Number five, why do Disney princesses have the ability to force unsuspecting forest creatures to clean for them? And how does one get that power? Now, I'm sure it's a plot device used for character development to show they are innocent and trustworthy, but it kind of seems like a power play to me. I mean, it's slave labor. They end up doing most of the work. They're not paid. And aren't they kind of dirty themselves? Wouldn't they like be leaving dirt and hair and forest debris everywhere? Mightn't they not have rabies? I mean, do you really want a whole room full of wild animals cleaning for you? I don't know. Number six. What wackadoo breaks into a home and cleans the house unbidden? And did she just push the beds together to take her nap upstairs? Or do the dwarves just like to sleep that close together? I found that very odd. Number seven, why do you keep the key to your diamond vault right next to the door, out in the middle of the forest, unprotected? What's the sense in that? Does no one else know about this mine? And number eight, if the dwarves are that rich, why are they living in the cottage in the woods? What are they doing with their diamonds and gems? Does the queen not realize her kingdom is sitting on a proverbial gold mine? Number nine, are the dwarfs brothers? Are there more dwarfs hanging around somewhere? Are there dwarfs that live in town, as it were? Is Snow familiar with dwarfs? Did their names determine their personalities or vice versa? I mean, did they start out with regular names like John or Frank, but then they kind of were given quirky nicknames by one another? I mean, where did all of that start? Number 10 is more of a question of my own sanity, I guess. Put in a similar situation, would I invite a feeble-looking woman into my home if I found her meandering out in the woods alone? And if I did so, would I accept an apple gift? I mean, I'd like to think I have more sense than that, but to be honest, I'm not sure. And it seems to me that Disney is sending kind of mixed messages here. On one hand, you invite the woman in, take her apple, and fall into a coma. On the other hand, you choose not to help her, and she turns you into a beast, cursed to live as a monster until a delicate flower withers and dies. Old ladies coming to your door is apparently a lose-lose situation. And finally, number 11. To our knowledge, the prince and Snow only met once for like literally three seconds before Snow ran inside and hid from the weird stranger who pops up out of nowhere and starts singing. How is that love? And why, once again, was the prince just wandering in the forest? It's not his kingdom. What's he doing there? Why is he so far from home? Was he invited? How did he just stumble upon her again? No, just no. I have a lot of feelings, but you know, it's not, it wasn't all bad. There is a lesson or two in there. You know, the easy one, don't eat apples given to you by a strange old ladies who just happen to be passing your cottage in the middle of the forest. I mean, that's a given, isn't it not? But a better one might be that kindness goes a long way, especially when the world knocks you down. Snow White had every reason to become bitter. It's obvious that she's not living the life of a typical princess. I mean, most princesses do not scrub the stairs of the castle. Her relationship with her guardian is complicated at best. 
and then said Guardian hires someone to kill her because she's too pretty. I mean, thankfully, that doesn't go as planned. But all of the sudden, Snow is forced to flee into the forest, away from the world she knows, no matter how horrible, with no money and no shelter. That could push the best of us over the edge. Should she have broken into a house? No. But instead of grabbing what might have been useful to her and continuing on her way, her heart pointed towards kindness. Instead, she went with spring cleaning and preparing a hot meal on the stove for whoever was going to walk through the door that night. She was generous and thoughtful when she didn't have to be, and she was given that back in return. She was given more. These dwarfs and forest animals became her protectors, something she had never known because she showed them kindness first. So as you can tell, this is not at the top of my favorites. It's a solid first effort. There are a handful of memorable songs led by, in my opinion, hi-ho. The dwarfs are cute and seem like a good hang. I mean, Walt Disney created something new, beautiful, impossible. One little movie helped start an empire. I wouldn't have Tangled without Snow White. Spoiler alert, Tangled is my favorite Disney movie. There was a great post on the Walt Disney Family Museum blog about what a gamble this movie was. It was a departure for Disney. I'll make sure to link it in the notes in case you're interested. But in the article, they quote the Baltimore Sun in December 1937. And it said, the creator of Mickey Mouse and the Silly Symphonies could have gone on and on devising new absurd stunts for this madcap menagerie. He was sure of universal applause, but applause wasn't enough. He had to have more room to permit the creatures of imagination to disport themselves for the edification of others. I love that quote. Disney wanted to make room for unrestrained imagination. While flawed, the story of a young girl who was forced from her home into the unknown, chased by evil but protected by friends, it does just that. It kickstarts the imagination with every watch and opened up a world of storytelling. Not a bad way to start this summer movie challenge. Off topic, the queen had to be the inspiration for Queen Bav Morda and Willow. Please tell me you like Willow. The full head turtleneck thing with the crown on top. Bav Morda gives off serious evil queen vibes. They have very similar tastes in fashion. Should we watch Willow together eventually? I think that's going to have to happen. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at gnomegirlm, no I, at gnomegirlm. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. See you next time.